your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 5. 2 Kings, chapter 5, for several months, usually on Sunday evening, we've been preaching a series called The Lord God of Elijah, and this message is a part of that series. 2 Kings, chapter number 5, those of you that were in attendance will remember that in the first part of that chapter, we saw the wonderful picture of Naaman being healed of leprosy. And what a great day that was in his life. And not only was he changed physically, but also spiritually, because now he is convinced that the God of Israel is the true and the living God. Now we come to verse number 15. And he returned to the man of God, that is, returned to Elisha, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all of the earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. And he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant that when my master goeth into the house of Remnon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself to the house of Remnon, when I bow down myself in the house of Remnon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. And so he departed from him a little way. But Jehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. So Jehazi followed after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of raiment. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house. And he let the men go, and they departed. Sometimes when a preacher stands before a congregation, he wonders if the message will be appropriate or helpful to everyone there. And uh, Certainly there are instances where some are benefited more than others. But when I stand here this morning, I know that the content of this message in some way or another applies to each and every one of us. 
because there is a little bit of Jehazi in all of us this morning. Greedy Jehazi. And in this story, we see the curse of covetousness. Several years ago, in fact, it was 1991, and I think all of us would agree that things are a lot worse now than they were then. But someone made a survey, and after the survey, here was the question, what are you willing to do for $10 million? Two-thirds of the Americans' poll would agree to at least one and some to several of the following. Listen to this. For $10 million, 25% said they would abandon their entire family. 25% said they would abandon their church. 23% would become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% would give up their American citizenship. 16% would leave their spouses. 10% would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% would kill a stranger. 3% said they would put their children up for adoption. Isn't that amazing? What people will do to get what they want. And please understand, this is not just about money. When we talk about having a covetous spirit, it involves those desires of our heart, whatever they might be. And so here in this story, in this chapter, we actually see two miracles. We've already talked about one, and that's the healing of the leper. That was a miracle there. But now, as you're about to see, Jehazi is smitten with leprosy. So one is healed and one is smitten. We see a picture of grace. We see a picture of justice. We see a picture of mercy. We see a picture of wrath. We see God's power to deliver, God's power to destroy, God's power to help, and God's power to hurt, God's power to aid, God's power to afflict. And I'm really amazed that this part of the chapter gets so little attention. It's very important, and in some ways, I think, more important than the miracle of the healing of the leper. And I say that because we need warnings. And if ever there was a warning in the Bible, this is it. This sad story is repeated over and over again as people covet those things that are contrary to the will of God and willing to do whatever, make any compromise, hurt anyone in the way, simply to get what they want out of life. Now, I want you to think about this story, and I want you to think about the, 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 the seriousness of it, and I want us to make a personal application to ourselves and see the danger involved in letting our desires get out of control. First of all, we see that Jehazi defiled his ministry. Now, up to this point, we see him ministering to Elisha. Elisha, the most powerful, influential, famous preacher on earth at that time. Elisha, the man of God. Elisha, the miracle worker. And here is Jehazi, his servant, a man who is there when he was needed. 
And now we find this same man that had been so actively involved in God's work now using his ministry for personal gain. And that's sad. You see, motive matters to God. Don't you ever forget that. Motive matters to God. You see, it's fine to prosper just so long as that is not our goal. Nothing wrong with having a lot of earthly things as long as you're not pursuing those things. And that's why the Bible tells us that we're to seek not to be rich. We're not to seek the wealth of this world. A covetous spirit ruins a lot of people every day because they simply lust after the things of this world and they don't care who they trample on to get what they want. Now, there's no excuse for his action. Number one, it's not prompted by any need whatsoever. God has provided everything he needed up to this point. And there's no reason to assume that God's not going to take care of him the rest of the way. So need has nothing to do with it. It's all about desire. And so many times we talk about, well, you know, I'm just never going to be happy because I need this or I need that. When really we're not talking about a need at all. We're talking about a desire, a, a lust within our own heart. But secondly, notice here, that not only had his needs been provided, but he had been the witness to the miracles that Elijah had worked. I mean, can you imagine following Elisha around, watching all of these miracles, seeing these demonstrations of God's power again and again and again? And yet, in spite of all of that, he turns around and commits this terrible crime defiling his minister. Now, you're thinking, well, at least, you know, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary. I don't pastor a church. I don't need to worry about that. Let me tell you, if you're a child of God, you have a ministry. If you're a child of God, you are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are his representatives. And consequently, when we succumb to temptation, when we give in to sin, we are defiling the ministry that God has given us. But not only did he defile the ministry, he deceived a new convert. Here's Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army, a man in a high influential place. And now as a result of the miracle, he has become convinced that Jehovah is the only true and living God. This is amazing when you stop and think about it. And think about the influence that he will have now later on by way of influencing his people, the Syrians, and how greatly God can use him. And it's so sad and so tragic to think about Jehazi deceiving him. He misstated his true condition. Notice that as he runs back out there to Naaman and he sees him coming and he calls out, Is all well? And what did he say? All is well. That was a lie. Everything wasn't well. He was rotten to the core. There was sin in his heart. He's lying about it. And that's what gets most of us in trouble. It starts right there, first of all, with the lust that's in our heart, and then all of a sudden we begin to deny it. And that's what he's doing. He's denying that that's a problem. People come to church every week and they sit and they listen to the Sunday school lesson. They listen to the sermon. They leave 
the same way as they came, denying that they've got a problem, denying that there is something that they need to deal with in that service. And it's so sad that we go through one service after another, after another, after another, without any response. And it's just like, you know, we, we just assume, I suppose, in our mind, well, nobody there with a need this morning. What do you say? Well, what do you expect me to do? I expect you, just as God expects us when there is a need in our life, to deal with it when God is dealing with us about it. Not when you get home. You might not make it home. Not tomorrow. You might not see the sun come up in the morning. If God is dealing with your heart about something, you need to deal with it right now. And that's why at the conclusion of every service, we extend a time of invitation, giving folks an opportunity to deal with it instead of dealing with it. A lot of folks do exactly what he did. They just deny it. All is well, but it's not. So he misstated his true condition. He misrepresented his master. I mean, he said, Elisha has sent me, and he, he, he didn't. You know, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. People all the time say, well, you know, I, think, I just think the Lord would have me to do this or that. And God has nothing to do with it. I've had people say, well, I just think that God is leading us to another church. And God's not doing any such thing. And I know there are instances where God does lead us to do things sometimes that, that we don't even understand. But more often than not, we make up our mind about what we're going to do, and then we lay the blame on God's doorstep. I've known preacher after preacher who decided after a struggle or a difficulty in the church that all of a sudden God's leading me somewhere else. And in a lot of instances, God didn't have anything to do with it. They just want to get out of the heat. They just want to get in a better place. They just want a higher salary. They just want, you know, whatever. And it all gets back to this very same problem that Jehazi has. And then he misled Naaman. And remember, this is a new convert. And he is misleading him. Oh, how horrible it is. You know, it's bad enough. For us to disappoint someone that's well grounded in the faith, but this is a new convert. Notice what Naaman said in verse 23. He said, be content. That was good advice. Be content. Now, he doesn't know what's going on, and he's offering to double the offer. Because Jehazi says, you know, the Lord sent us and he told us we would just, you know, give us one talent and one thing, one garment and so forth. And he said, no, no, be content. Take two. So he's deceiving a new convert. Folks, let me tell you, it's a serious sin when you and I deceive and become a stumbling block to God's people. That's serious. And how many times, because of the inconsistencies in our life, because of the hypocrisy in our life, that we mislead someone else? I'll never forget Shortly after I was saved, I surrendered to preach. I mean, just a couple of months afterwards. And I mean, I was involved in absolutely everything. A few months later, less than a year anyway, we had another young man that surrendered to preach. 
he was maybe a year or two younger than I was, but I mean, he just he kind of followed me around everywhere and was a good friend. We had a church softball team. In fact, that's the reason I got to go into church. Somebody invited me to church and wanted me to, would you come out and help our softball team? And I said, well, sure. I, I come out and they said, well, whoops, big mistake. You can't play unless you come to Sunday school, you know, a couple of weeks. And I thought, well, I can endure that. And so I tried it. Well, I ended up getting saved and surrendering to preach. And I mean, really involved. But here I was out there playing a softball game, and I'll never forget what happened. I, I, I was pitching, and, uh, as, and, and I wasn't a pitcher. I could just throw the ball harder than nearly anybody uh, anywhere. I mean, I could knock a brick wall over with a softball, throwing it underhand, but I wasn't a pitcher. I, you know, I was a third baseman, not a pitcher. And uh, so I got to, I was hitting them and walking them, and I mean, the ball flying everywhere all over the place, you know. And finally, finally the pastor came, he was the manager, <laughs> and he came out and took me out. And I, I, and I, I told him, I said, oh, no, I'll, I'll get control here in just a minute. No, 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 that's, that's enough. And so he took me out and moved me over to third base or something, and I, I just took my ball glove and throwed it like that and... I mean, I didn't think a thing about it. I'd been a hot-headed person all of my life. That was part of playing ball, you know, to me. Scream and yell and just a hothead, an idiot, uh, might be a better way to put it. But after the game that day, walking out across the parking lot toward the car, and David Smith was his name, and David come out there to me and had tears in his eyes. And he said, can I talk to you a minute? And I said, well, sure. Now, I'd, I'd totally forgotten about that incident. I mean, to me, it was just part of the game. And he stood there crying, and he said, I can't even begin to tell you how you hurt me today, how disappointed I am. He said, I look up to you. I, and he went on and on and on, all of the superlatives and talking about how much I'd meant to him and been a good example. And he said, to see you act that way just hurt me. I can't even tell you how much. Boy, I'll tell you what, I felt about that high, and I should have. Let me tell you, folks, we better be careful about how we behave around God's people because somebody is always looking, and God is going to hold us accountable when we put a stumbling block in their way. That's what Jehazi is doing. He's misleading Naaman. Now notice then verse 25. Not only did he defile his ministry and deceive a new convert, he denied his sin. Notice what happens. He takes the garment and the money, and it's verse 24. He hides them in his house, verse 25. And he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Which comest thou, Jehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. I hadn't been anywhere. What are you talking about? And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee? When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? Do you see what's going on here? He is trying to cover up his sin. Verse 24, he tried to hide his sin. 
And now he has an opportunity here to confess his sin. And he does not take advantage of that. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sin shall not prosper. Every person here this morning would say, I want God's blessings on my life. I want to prosper in life. I want everything that God has for me. And yet many times we deprive ourselves of those blessings because we're hiding some sin in our heart. Notice, he's lied. Where did this all start? Do you see the progression of it? It started out with the lust, that covetous spirit that was in his heart. And then it develops on to deceit. And then we see the hypocrisy of it. Here is an outright lie that I didn't go anywhere, I didn't do anything. I'm innocent of all charges. And yet in some way, God has made known to Elisha exactly what transpired. He lied to his master And his sin is discovered here in verse number 26. Remember over in Numbers when it speaks about the children of Israel, Moses says, be sure your sin will find you out. You think you can hide it, but you're just kidding yourself because God knows about it and God in His time and in His way will reveal it. Be sure your sin will find you out. And here we see the true motive of his service being revealed. What did he want? He wanted riches. That's exactly what he wants. Not because he needs anything more, but there's the desire to get more. There's this, this sense of dissatisfaction in his life. I've just got to have more than I've got. Now you tell me that most of us don't have problems with that. Being satisfied with what God gives us. How many times do we succeed in that area of our life? Just saying, Lord, you know, I really, it would really be nice to have this or that, but I don't have it, and that's okay. I can live without it. I know if I needed it, you would give it to me. We don't do very well in this area of our life. Now, you see, for, for you, it might not be riches at all. It could be recognition. It could be a long list of things. Just that desire to get what you want. And it just burns within you day and night. You just think, I've got to have it. I've got to get it in some way. And then it develops into deceitfulness. And you begin to lie and begin to deny the sin that's in your life. But notice the bottom line here in verse 27. The leprosy... Now, this is the indictment against him. The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Oh, the danger of riches. I didn't say the sinfulness of riches. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter number 6. You... Say today, well, preacher, you know, I, I'm not rich. I don't have to worry about this. You couldn't be talking to me. We're not talking about riches. We're talking about the love of riches, the love of money. And i got news for you. A lot of poor people are more guilty of this than a lot of rich people. 
It's the love, the desire, the lust, the craving after more. And Paul says in verse number 9, he says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Notice they pierced themselves through. Sin has its own built-in punishment. That's why the Lord said in Hosea chapter 13 and verse 9, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. That's what sin does. Any kind of sin. No one ever sins successfully. doesn't make any difference what the sin is. When we harbor sin in our heart, it sets in motion a destructive power within us. It's like a cancer that's eating away at us. Solomon said the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that, listen to this, of them that seek death. We see one man cured of leprosy, and now we see another man cursed with leprosy. I can't help but think about that little maid. Here was a little maid that had been taken captive by the Syrians, and she is now the servant to Naaman. And she has to get up when they tell her she can get up. She has to do what they command her to do. She has no life of her own. She's been taken in exile, separated from family, friends, or plans, or dreams. All of that's gone. And yet, she maintained a sweet spirit and had a loving concern for other people. And she was the one responsible for saying, Oh, if my master Naaman, if he could just some way get to the man of God, the man of God, the prophet, Elisha, he could heal him of his leprosy. Now think about the contrast between that little maid who according to all of the worldly standards has nothing to be happy about, nothing to be satisfied about, and yet she's perfectly content and concerned more about other people than she is about herself. And contrast that with Jehazi. And Jehazi is living in the shadow of Elisha and his ministry, reaping all of the benefits of the blessings of God. A man who has no reason to be discontent, and he's eaten up with a covetous spirit. And now, as a result of that unconfessed sin in his life, he himself is smitten with leprosy. We need to be content with what God gives us. Just do what God would have us to do and then be content with whatever God gives us, folks. It might be a whole lot less than what we desire because I've got news for you. As long as you live, there's always going to be that fleshly part of you that's never quite satisfied, that always wants more, bigger, better, and so forth. It's always going to be there as long as we're in these fleshly bodies. 
And we better learn how to control those impulses in our life. We better learn how to do without. We better learn how to be satisfied with whatever God gives us. Or we'll end up destroying ourselves. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. In other words, God says, You put me first, and I'll take care of everything in your life. I wonder why we don't do that more often. You see, covetousness is at the very core of all of the crime, all of the conflict, all of the contention, the corruption that's in this world. Listen, this takes us all of the way back to the Garden of Eden. Not being satisfied with what God gives us, wanting more, thinking we deserve Bigger and better. I can't help but think about what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter number 7. He says that he would not have known what sin was. Now listen to me. Here was a man that had been raised and was a student of the Old Testament, a religious man, a man who seemingly knew all about the Bible, a man who was a teacher and a leader to other people. And in spite of all of that, with all of his self-righteousness, he said, I would have never known what sin was. Had the Bible not said, thou shalt not covet. You look at those Ten Commandments and you go down that list and you think, well, you know, I've kept that one and that one and that one and that one and I'm really doing good. But folks, when we get down to the Tenth Commandment, it gets every single one of us. Because at some point and some time in our life, we all commit the sin of being covetous. It happens to all of us. That's why I said it is at the very core of all of the conflict and the confusion and, and, and all of the sinfulness in this world. And it always results in the same thing, and that is destruction. Here is a man being destroyed by a horrible disease. And notice, notice who's responsible for this. It's God. You hear this prosperity group today preaching that, you know, God never makes anybody sick and God wants everybody to be rich and all of that nonsense. I've got news for you. They didn't get that out of the Bible. When you sin against God... Even as a child of God, some of you kids sitting back there on the back row, sitting there, you've been giggling and just making a playhouse out of it. And I'm talking about something that involves life and death, and you're paying no attention at all. And I'm telling you, if you don't listen to me, the day's coming when you're going to regret that frivolous attitude. I'm trying to help you, not hurt you. Listen, folks, it's a destructive force in our life. When we decide that we're not content with, with what God chooses to give us in life, and so we set out on our own. 
And it can involve money, it can involve sex, it can involve a thousand and one other things. And it makes no difference when we take ourselves outside of the bounds of God's will, trying to get what we want that we think will bring satisfaction. We're going to end up destroying ourselves. That's why the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire, and the same God that can heal you can hurt you. The same God that gives you life can take your life. So what is this all about? It's all about man's desire to be satisfied. Right? I mean, if we were 100% totally satisfied, there wouldn't be any problem with being covetous. But we're not. And our search for satisfaction always ends up a shipwreck because of this one factor. And that is that we fail to find our satisfaction in the only true source, and that source is God. Remember Solomon's experiment, and that's what it was. Here's a man that had it all. I mean everything. He's got the most powerful position in the world. He's got possessions like you wouldn't believe. He's got everything. But he's not satisfied, and so he conducted an experiment. And he tried, well, he tried wealth, he tried works, he tried women, he tried wine. He tried all of these things. And the bottom line was, he said, it's all vanity. That's another way of saying it's a soap bubble. There's no substance to it. There's nothing satisfying there. It's here for a minute and then it's gone. It's all vanity. Nothing under the sun. That is, nothing here on earth that can bring satisfaction And then he made this statement. He said, I hated life. How in the world can someone with so much get to the place that they just don't even want to get up in the morning? They just hate life. How do you suppose that Jehazi felt the next morning when he looked at his leprous skin and knowing that now for the rest of his life he's going to be separated from people, isolated out there in the leper colony somewhere. Not much satisfaction in that, right? You see, that's what he was looking for, and that's what he lost. Think about the prodigal son. He's not satisfied in daddy's house. He's not satisfied with what the father has provided, and so he strikes out on his own, and there he is, finally, penniless, flat dab broke, and in a pig pen. So hungry that he would have eaten the husk that the pigs did eat, and no man gave to him. No satisfaction there. The only place he found satisfaction is when he went back to the father's house. And listen, that's the bottom line of the experiment that Solomon went through. That there is nothing here under the sun that can satisfy you except a personal relationship with God. 
And maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, preacher, I've already been saved. I, you know, I'm saved and I know I'm saved and there's no doubt about that. So you're not talking to me. Yes, I'm talking to you this morning. Every one of us that has a problem with the covetous spirit, it gets right back to our relationship with God. When we get out of fellowship with God, all of a sudden our passions begin to run wild and people will do almost anything imaginable to satisfy those desires of their heart. And they end up destroying themselves. Dear friend, don't let that happen to you. Let this be a warning to each and every one of us that we leave here today not denying our sin, but rather, if necessary, getting on your knees before God and confessing those, those unlawful desires that you have in your heart. That covetous spirit, that attitude that I've got to have more, I've got to have this, or I've got to have better. And don't deny it. Confess to God that that sin is there. Because, listen, He knows all about it anyway. You're just kidding yourself to think you're going to hide it. Deal with it today. Whatever you do, folks, listen, don't let your sin lead you to the place that you cause somebody else to stumble and fall because you'll end up literally destroying yourself. It doesn't have to be that way. You can have satisfaction. You can be content in this old sinful world. You really can. But the only way for it to happen is for us to be content in our relationship with Jesus Christ and say, Lord, with Your help to the best of my ability, I'm going to do exactly what You want me to do in life. And then whatever else happens, I'm going to accept that knowing that you don't make any mistakes and knowing that you will provide what I need and when I need it. Let's all stand. Father, Lord, forgive me of the many, many times that I've been so very discontent with things as they are. So many times when maybe unknown to everybody else, Deep within my heart, there was that yearning to get something else. Even though there was food on the table, it just seemed like that wasn't enough to satisfy. Although there were clothes in the closet, there was something else that I yearned for. Lord, whenever we think about the majority of the people in the world and how poor and deprived they are, God, help us to not be so discontent that we would murmur and complain about our lot in life. May it not be our main priority. May it not be our agenda to ever do anything trying to make ourselves happy and content. May it be our main goal in life to please You And to know that as a result of that, that we can finally, at long last, be satisfied in life. For we ask it in Jesus' name. As we stand, as we lift our voice in song, if you're here today, and the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart, whether it's in regards to salvation or, well, whatever's on your list.
why don't you come this morning and say, I know exactly what God wants, and I'm going to do it right now. I'm not going to put it off any longer. While we sing, you come.